Anybody glad to be alive today? Glad to be alive. What a mighty God we serve. I want to welcome you to our Good Friday worship experience, our Good Friday worship services, both to those of you who are here with us in person and for those of you who are watching us virtually. We are honored to have you be a part of this audience on today. And whether you know it or not, it is a Good Friday. honored tonight to have sons and daughters of this ministry to present tonight on the seven last sayings of Jesus the Christ. And so tonight I want to introduce to you those preachers who are coming and in the order in which they will come. Happy tonight to have Associate Pastor Walter Skinner, who will kick us off with the first word tonight. Following Associate Pastor Walter Skinner, we will then also have Associate Pastor Michael Mooney, who is going to come and present to us the Word of God. Our third preacher will be none other than our Chief Operating Officer, who wears multiple hats. But she, in fact, is Associate Pastor Bessie Hayes, is going to minister the third word on today. And following Associate Pastor Bessie Hayes, we will then have Associate Pastor May Reed, who's going to come and give unto us our fourth word. And then y'all, none other than Nicole McDaniels. Right. going to come and preach. And then, y'all, the one who's been waiting to get up here to declare the word of God, Brother Paul Thompson is going to preach on the day he was ready with his outfit and clergy attire on. Couldn't wait to do it. Couldn't wait to get here. Couldn't wait. Couldn't wait. I um, I'm honored to have these preachers. Now, y'all know they don't. They don't like this official attire. Yeah. If they had their way, they would um, take off them collars and these black suits. But this is high church tonight. This is how we represent our Lord and Savior and what he does for, did for us. Allow me to set the stage for the presentation that will come to you sermonically through the Word of God. In the Gospel of Luke, beginning at chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 23, beginning with verse 13, allow me to read in your hearing, allow me to read in your hearing the Word of God. Here's the stage in which is being played out that will help us to follow the preaching of God's gospel. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests 
and the rulers and the people said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you and found no fault in this man touching those things whereof ye accused him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him. And lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity, he must, we must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them, but they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil have he done? I found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto him, released unto him that for the sedition and murder was cast into prison whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon a Cyrenian coming out of the country, a black man, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Good evening, Carolina. I'll be reading Luke 23 and 34. Luke 23 and 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Just for a few brief moments that we have to share tonight, I want to talk about the first intercessory prayer. The first intercessory 
prayer. Here we are at Calvary. The Greek name for this is called Golgotha, the place of the skull. It's in the middle of the day, but it's turned as dark as the night. It is a bloody scene from the crucifixion of three men whose blood is running down old rugged crosses. The one in the middle named Jesus has been crowned with thorns and a placard placed over top of the cross that says the king of the Jews. Death is imminent because to be crucified was the cruelest death Romans ever discovered. Jesus' first reaction to this cruel situation is to pray. Uh, not a long dragged out prayer, but simply, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I was puzzled and curious at the same time because prayer is throughout the Bible. We know Abraham prayed. We know Moses prayed. We know Hannah prayed. We know Samuel prayed. We know Elisha prayed. We know Hezekiah prayed. We know Daniel prayed. And we know Jonah prayed. They all prayed these great historical prayers that showed the connection between God and humanity. Then God arrested my attention to the fact they prayed to God. They prayed to God. And here on the cross, we have Jesus, God in human form. The Gospel of John declares, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Matthew declared, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The question, Chris, that hit my mind was, how can God pray to God? How can God pray to God? How can God answer himself? How can God answer himself? The Lord says, Skinner, there is no answer in the darkness of death. This darkness is like the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament where God turned his back on creation. And now God turns his back again, but this time it's on his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Setting the stage for the first intercessory prayer. Isaiah 53 declares this, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. There it is, intercession for transgressors. Intercession means seeking the presence and hearing of God on behalf of others. Uh, Jesus is standing up for not only those who crucified him, but for all mankind. Are y'all ready to go? He's standing up for all mankind. Uh, Jesus now is standing between the law of God and the dispensation of grace. He's standing between our sin and his salvation, between hell and heaven, between our dirtiness and his holiness, between our messiness and his righteousness, between our lust and his love, between our problems and his peace, between our dirt and his divinity, between our ignorance and his wisdom, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. 
Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. This was Jesus became the propitiation. Propitiation, and, and you got to listen real good because I don't have no whole lot of time. God, who is propitiated by the vindication of his holy and righteous character, whereby through the provision he has made vicarious and atonement sacrifice of Christ. He has so dealt with sin that he can show mercy to the believing sinner in the removal of his guilt and remission of sins. I know that was a little heavy, but let me, let me translate it to where you can catch it. And, and this is how you're going to catch it. And when before the throne I stand, in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. Anybody want to have church tonight? Yes, yes, yes. Anybody want to have church? Jesus took our punishment when praying for us on the cross. Isaiah said it like this. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Any Bible readers in here? Yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him the Bible make me happy y'all our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed we are healed is there any healed folks in the room tonight anybody God has brought you out and made a way out of no way I come to tell it like Jesus told me Jesus took our place to give us a place in paradise. He gave us a place in paradise with him for eternity. Jesus prays the first intercessory prayer, fulfilling his promise that in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus paid a debt he did not know to purchase a place in paradise for us to go. I'm almost done, y'all. In the Bible, God gives us this good old illustration of Jesus being our intercessory, but I want to say it the way Grandma and them taught me how to say it. That somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took a little time and prayed for me. Is anybody here? Somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took a little time and prayed for me. My Jesus prayed for me out on Calvary, took a little time and prayed for me. Is there anybody glad about it that Jesus prayed for you? Anybody glad Jesus made intercession for you? Anybody glad that Jesus was the propitiation for you? Is anybody glad that Jesus took the punishment for you? Is anybody glad that Jesus gave you a paradise to go through? Say yes! Say yes! Say yes! Say yes! I know he's alright. I know he's alright.
the sky. Believe in Carolina. It's not test is on. Thank you, Pastor, for this opportunity given unto the God. I'll be lifting up the second saying. be lifting up today uh, from chapter 23 of Luke. We're going to start with verse 32 and then pick up at 39 through 43. Let me pray. Heavenly Father God, I ask that you use me right now, God. These butterflies will move them out of my way, Lord. Now, God, let me say a word that will prick someone's heart tonight to have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. We're going to go down to Verse 39. One of the criminals who had hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you know not God, fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And he indeed justified, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. If I had to title this, it would be called The Journey of Life. When you travel, you have a departure. On your journey, you may try new things, experience different uh, cultures, make new friends, enjoy nature, learn new things, but finally, you come to your destination. And sometimes you return home. And this is a, a round trip. And there's times that you might use a travel agent to help you travel and make arrangements. You might include booking flights, hotels, sightseeing, tours, making dinner recommendations. A travel agent assess each customer unique needs and preferences and, and budget their trip yes, to make sure that it goes smoothly as possible. Yes, Likewise, the journey of life begins with our birth. That's our departure. And on our journey, it's filled with lessons to be learned, challenges to be faced, heartbreak to endure, pleasures to celebrate, and unique moments to cherish that we will finally take us to our goal our purpose in life. The journey will not be easy at all times. In fact, there will be difficulties along the route. Yes, the arrival is death, yes, a physical death in this world. However, this, this is a one-way trip, and the final destination is one or two places, hell or heaven. Yes, 
pastor. I never thought I would be delivering a fire and brimstone service, but here we go. Here we go. According to the Bible, hell is a realm of suffering, gloom, fire, isolation from God. It's where unbelievers, sinners, and followers of Satan will ultimately end up. The book of Revelation speaks of a second death, which is final, an eternal separation for God. Only those who have never experienced the new life in Christ will partake of this second death, and that's in Revelations. On the other hand, we have heaven, which is a real place where God and the angels live. It's a place of great beauty, glory, and happiness without any evil or pain. In heaven, those who are saved by God will have new bodies and see God's inner essence. Heaven will come down to earth, and there will be no more death or separation. And we can find that in Revelations 2. And if I had time, I would take you back to Genesis, where heaven and earth met in the Garden of Eden. You can find that in chapter 3. By the way, there are some scholars that debate about paradise and heaven not being the same at this point of time in our text. Paradise seems to be the state of the present heaven before the final judgment, when there will, when there will come a new heaven and a new earth. It is a paradise, a good place where we dwell in the presence of Jesus until his return to earth. When he brings, which brings us back to our text. In our text, we find three men at a place called the Skull, better known as Calvary, on their final approach to death. Jesus, whose death was decreed by God and arranged before the universe even exists, it's, a, it's an essence part of God's everlasting purpose to save mankind from sin and to have his beloved son ascension back to heaven on the 40th day after his resurrection and to be seated on the right hand of God. But then we have the two criminals, one on his right, one on his left. The first criminal seemed to be, have passed away in rage when he died. Most likely he was upset with himself for getting caught. He was undoubtedly upset with the judge who gave him his punishment. He was undoubtedly upset with everyone who had disappointed him along his life's journey. He appeared to have been especially enraged at Jesus, the innocent man who hung by his side. The first criminal died with his own guilt in him and on him. Furious with Jesus for being powerless, which he thought, to save himself or anyone else. I would like to suggest his travel agent was Satan and his destination was hell. But then we have the second criminal. By the way, Matthew 27, verse 37 through 44 shows that he also joined in with the others who ridiculed and insulted Jesus. However, he had a change of heart as he approaches his death. He rebuked his partner in crime, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Yes, and we indeed justify, for we are receiving the due award of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will see me in paradise. 
The second criminal had no time to clean up his life. He had no time to do anything but to believe in Jesus. In, in this text, he provides us with an excellent example of how to select a travel agency for our life and our journey and, and what our destination should be. I'm through now, but as I get ready to take my seat, I want you to think for a moment, close your eyes, go back to Calvary, between, think about these two criminals and Jesus. Think about their journey. Think about your journey right now. And in closing, I have two relevant questions for you. Who is your travel agent and what is your destiny? beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. I want to tag this text, I remember mama. There's a special bond between a mother and her eldest son. The oldest son takes on the responsibility to take care of his mom. And this is exactly what Jesus did. The scene at the cross. Standing at the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And so here is Mary, the mother of Jesus, watching her firstborn son die. My first point, the difficult moment. How black and bleak and burdened her soul must have been. How she must have felt seeing her sinless son dangle between heaven and earth. She sees her son, her firstborn son, draw his last breaths. He does so being made a public spectacle in the presence of all. And there she stands, a mother being robbed of her firstborn son. Mary is at the cross where Jesus is being crucified. This was without question her most difficult moment. Point one, the most difficult moment as the mother of Jesus. There she has to watch as her son is shamelessly stripped of his all. He is hanging on a cross between two thieves. She, wit she witnesses her son dying a terrible death. They're killing my son, she cried within herself, I can imagine. They're gambling over his clothes. Her heart is crushed and her spirit is broken. 
a sword has pierced her heart. Her heart will never be the same. There will be a hole in her heart for the rest of her life for her firstborn son. That was a difficult moment for any mother to experience seeing her son die. But we know Lord, also that even though it was a difficult moment, it was a defining moment. Point number two. Who else is there? John was there, the youngest of the disciples. And where were the other disciples? They all ran. They all hid. But then they had a reason, right? They're, they were to be killed as well if they were there. But only John stayed. And in that moment, Jesus looks down at the crowd and he remembers his mother. He's concerned for his mother. So at this moment, Jesus organizes a replacement for himself. John is going to take Mary to his home. John is going to become Mary's son. Why does Jesus use this specific moment to make these arrangements, you might ask? Everyone around in the crowd thought Jesus was finished. They thought he was dead. But we all know he was not finished, for he's going to rise again. Or why didn't he sort this out earlier? He had plenty of time. He told the disciples many times that his death was coming. He had plenty of time to make arrangements for his mother. But why this moment? Why here on the cross? Then Jesus speaks. He says, dear woman. He doesn't say mommy. He doesn't say mom. He doesn't say mother. He says, dear woman. You were the one I'm, in my thought process, Jesus is saying, who gave me birth. You raised and fed and clothed me. You were there when I began to walk and talk and eat. You watched me as I went off to school on my first day. You took me to the synagogue and on our annual pilgrimages to the temple. You loved me as a mother only can love her son. As I'm thinking, Jesus said, but now, woman, you can't see me as son. You must see me as savior. You can't see me as your loving boy. You can no longer see me as your son. You must see me now, woman, as your savior and your redeemer. Our relationship has to be different, dear woman. By replacing himself with John, Jesus is saying to Mary, and he's saying to us, don't look at me as son, look at me as your Lord. Mary doesn't have any special privileges just because she gave birth to Jesus. She needs to have the same faith in Jesus that everyone else has, or else she cannot be part of the family of God. You look to me as Lord, Jesus says. As your Lord, I can help you beyond the grief. As your Lord, I can show you where this is all going to lead. As your Lord, I can turn your grief for a son into adoration for a savior. When we see these events in this light, we see just how important faith really is. Not even Mary had enough good works in her to enable her to be eternally saved. 
She had to put her faith in Jesus Christ, not as her son, but as her Lord. And in the eyes of Jesus, Mary was just like you and me and everyone else. She too will need to bow before Jesus in faith. If that is the case for Mary, then how much more is it the case for each of us? The only way we will have a hope of successfully making it through this life and all with all the grief and difficulties and challenges of life is to put our hope and our trust in the Lord Jesus. He is, he is the Lord of creation. He is the Lord of salvation. He is the Lord who calls us to trust in him. So we've had a difficult moment. We have had a destiny that is happening. I'm sorry, we had a defining moment, and now we have a destiny that is happening. The destiny, the destined, the future moment. Why does Jesus need to bother at all? Why does Jesus need to sort out where his mother will live? Matthew 13, 55 tells us that Jesus had half-brothers and sisters. So it's clear that there were plenty of people in Jesus' family that could have looked after Mary. So why organize a disciple to take his place as Mary's son? Why leave it? Why not leave her to the family? From his early ministry, Jesus made it clear that his death was going to take place. The words to Mary and John were re- I'm sorry, the, the words to John were reinforcing the need for belief. Belief in the one who said he's going to rise and have the victory. When Jesus connects his mother to John, it isn't primarily because he's the oldest son. It's because he wants us to understand that we need a spiritual connection. John was one of the disciples. Uh, So by replacing himself with John, Jesus is demonstrating to us how significant the body of Christ is. John at the moment, during, for the crucifixion, is the only one that represents the earthly founders of the church, that being the disciples. Jesus had determined that Mary needs the support that can only be given by one who is in the household of faith. So Jesus puts Mary into the hands of someone who represents the faith to demonstrate just how important it is to be part of the family of God. Not part of the local assembly, the church. Not part of an institution, but part of the family of God, the universal church. Uh, So Jesus tells us that if we are connected with the family of God, We are to be devoted one to the other. That's in Romans 12 and 10. We're to be kind and compassionate to one another. That's in Romans 12 and 16. And we are to accept one another as Christ accepted each of us individually. That's Romans 15, 7. We are to serve one another in love. Galatians 5, 13. All of these one another passages are spoken to the church and those who are members of the church. Jesus died and gave his own blood so that grieving mothers can find a son and sons can find mothers. In other words, there should be no one who is uncared for in the body of Christ. 
So if you know someone who has a need and you're a part of the body of Christ, you, we, we all need to take care of that need. Let's remember the importance of Christ in the middle of all of our needs in, life, in our life. Let's remember the importance of the church as we travel the spiritual journey together. For we all need Christ and we need one another. All of this is possible because Jesus looked down from the cross. Jesus saw his mom and did what he, did, he does for all of us. He loved her and he loves us. He gave her a future and he's given us a future. I remember mama. evening. I'll be preaching the fourth word on this evening. So as Jesus hung from the cross, he cried out the fourth word, which we see in Mark chapter, first, chapter 15, verse 34. And it says, and at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This evening, my sermon is all things fulfilled. So here in these, mo these final moments from the cross, we find an innocent Jesus who feels forsaken, abandoned, and deserted by his father. Here he is, a faithful servant who is blameless, spotless, and without fault, yet we find him nailed to the cross. I can't imagine the thoughts of isolation and betrayal that flooded the mind of our Savior as he hung from the cross. Because surely he had done everything he was called to do. Certainly he had performed the approved work of his Father. Surely he had performed miracles, signs, and wonders. Surely he had healed the sick and risen the dead. Surely he had turned water into wine and fed the multitude with two fish and five loaves of bread. Surely he had calmed the winds and the waves and walked on water. Yet here he was on the cross with both his lovers and his haters watching and waiting. Here he was, God's only begotten son, who was holy, harmless, and obedient, hanging from the cross. But in spite of his circumstance, and in spite, of what the in spite of what the situation looked like in these very final moments of his life, what I love about Jesus Christ, and the thing that makes him so dope in my eyes, is that even in his weakest hour, even as he hung from the cross, being mocked and treated as less than the king that he was, what he did in these very final moments was so bomb because he found it not robbery to teach us. Now, I know for me, when I'm tired and I'm worn out and I'm feeling it in my body, a sister's going to get up quick and I'm going to shut it down. 
But the good thing about Jesus that even in his weakest hour, as he laid bloody on the cross, tired and worn out, he still said, I'm going to take time to teach the people. You see, because Jesus, he was a Jew. He knew the words of the scripture spoken by his ancestor, King David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which can be found in the book of Psalms chapter 22, verse 1. And it's right here that we see the parallels between the events of Psalm and the crucifixion. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For those Jews who were studied in the scriptures, who were standing around the cross, they knew and they understood that Jesus speaking these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These weren't just any old words that Jesus was mumbling from the cross in his despair. No, yes, this was a teachable moment that Jesus was setting up for the people. You see, why was he teaching them? Why was he teaching him? This brings me to my first point. In this moment, Jesus continued to teach that he was the fulfillment of the law. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. So Jesus did not come to dissolve the law or render it invalid. No, Jesus came to ensure that the law of God would continue to accomplish the purpose for which it was given. Jesus came to establish the law, to embody it, and to fully accomplish all that was written in the word. Romans 10.4 tells us, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Every prediction of the prophets concerning the Messiah sprung forth when Jesus showed up on the scene. Jesus fulfilled at least 300 prophecies in his earthly ministries. And by living a perfect life of obedience, which we could never do, Jesus fulfilled all of the moral laws. And by his sacrificial death, by becoming the great sacrifice for our sin, he fulfilled all of the ceremonial laws. Somebody say all things. Christ came not to destroy religion, but he came to build it up. He came to give us a foundation for which we are to stand on. And he came to be an example for each and every one of us. So through his fulfillment of the law, Jesus gained our eternal salvation. So now we don't need a priest to pray for us. We don't need an intercessor to go for us. We don't need anyone to make an offering for us. Oh no, we can go to Christ and we can go to God all by ourselves because through him, all things were fulfilled. We need to understand that it is a privilege and that it is an honor that we get to serve God, to stand before his throne. It is a privilege to come into this house of worship. It is a privilege to come before the altar and to worship at his feet. It is a privilege. And sometimes we take this thing for granted. Oh, yes, we take it for granted. But we need to recognize that we serve a holy God. We need to recognize that we are but filthy rags before him. But because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, because of the blood that he shed on Kogatha's hill for us, we can now stand before a holy God and we can worship him all by ourselves. We don't need an intercessor. We don't need a priest. 
Pastor, we love you, but we don't need you either. We can go to God all by yourself. Yes, we can. Hallelujah. And that brings me to my second point. Because all things were fulfilled through Christ's suffering on the cross. And because we now have been redeemed from the penalty of sin. And we are in right relationship with God. I'm here to tell you today that your suffering is nothing but a promise fulfilled. That's right. Your suffering is nothing but a promise fulfilled. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 tells us, Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testimony and testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work. Let it finish its work so that you may be mature and that you may be complete and that you may lack nothing. I'm telling you today that your suffering is nothing but a promise that's fulfilled. Jesus hung from the cross asking the Father why he had forsaken him. And there are times in our life where the road gets a little bit rough. It gets a little bit rocky. It gets a little bit hard. We're faced with trials and tribulations on every side, carrying our cross. But because we belong to him, because we are his and he is ours, I can hear Jesus say, take up your cross. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. Take up your cross and follow me because your suffering is nothing but a promise that's fulfilled. Reevaluate the pains and the problems and the sufferings in your life. Reevaluate your trial. Reevaluate your tribulation because troubles may come. Troubles may come. Problems may come, but according to the word of God, from the very foundation of the world, we were on the mind of God, and he made us a promise to never leave us and to never forsake us. So be ye confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until it is perfect, and it is to carry on until the completion of the day of Jesus Christ. So just like Jesus did in his last moments on the cross, make your life a teachable moment. Make it so that your lovers and your haters can watch you. Just know that on today, I charge you with courage and I charge you with strength to call upon the word of God and teach the people. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I was young, but now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed breaking for bread. I am the head and not the tail. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You are his purpose. You are his promise. You are his plan. You are his people. So though you may cry out from time to time, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember that through Christ, all things have been fulfilled. So be ye steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. Because I can assure you on today that your labor is not in vain. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Today, all things are fulfilled.
I will be reading from John chapter 19, verse 28. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. I'll be speaking to you all on the subject, the thirst to end all thirst. Jesus now in the sixth hour of crucifixion, gasping for air, suffering major bread loss, bearing the full weight of every single sin committed and every single sin yet to be committed, hung there on the cross, mocked and ridiculed, beaten and broken. It was at this point Jesus had done what he came to do. Everything was complete. And the text says that to fulfill the scripture, he said, I thirst. The first thing we can gather from this scripture is that this thirst was prophetic. Jesus said himself in Matthew 5, 17, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Jesus, 100% divine and 100% God, fulfilled every prophetic writing down to his thirst. We can find reference of his thirst in Psalms 22 and 15, where he said that my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. In Psalm 69, 21, it says, they offered me sour wine for my thirst. It was in this proclamation of thirst that he said to fulfill the scripture that Christ reminds us that God will fulfill every promise and that no word will return to him void. Throughout Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, he shows us that ultimately God is in control and what he declares to be will be. Even when Pontius Pilate told Jesus that he had the power to either free him or crucify him, Jesus reiterates to him that he would have no authority unless it was given by God. In understanding the divine nature that is Jesus Christ, we must not overlook that Jesus is not only 100% God, but he is also 100% man. On the cross, Jesus hangs in a position of self-suffocation. His only relief from the physical pressure on his lungs is to hoist his weight upon his nail-scarred hands and feet. The hours spent in the sun and the physical pain he was feeling, not to mention the loss of blood and bodily fluid, would have created severe dehydration. All of us understand what it means to be thirsty. Our bodies send triggers when it's time for some water, and if we don't receive that water, we find ourselves suffering from dry mouth, feeling dizzy or even lightheaded. We may even experience weakness. But we can never imagine what Christ experienced on that cross. No one here can say that we could have endured such suffering. We could not even begin to imagine even a fraction of what Christ suffered. Enduring being whipped, a crown of thorns being shoved so hard into his head that the thorns were stabbing through his flesh, blood running into his eyes. We cannot even see ourselves carrying a cross but being yelled at and spit on and whipped just to have large nails driven into our hands and feet and to hang on this cross, needing to lift ourselves up just to breathe. We couldn't do it. We could not do it. Unlike any other words of Christ, this word here reminds us that Jesus was human and that his thirst was real. Jesus, the Son of God, chose to be born in humanity. He chose to become like us, to experience the pain and the emotions we feel, to experience the hunger and the thirst that we feel. He did this 
So there is nothing that we can go through, nothing we feel that Jesus himself cannot understand. I'm thankful to serve a God that is not too far out of reach, a God who can understand what I go through, a God who can empathize with my darkest moments, a God who knew that I needed salvation, so he was born into this world, suffered and died that I may be able to come and receive forgiveness, mercy, and love. It is because Christ experienced this thirst that our thirst can be quenched. Thirst is not only defined as a sensation of dryness in the mouth and throat associated with a desire for liquids, but it's deeper than that. Thirst is also defined as an ardent desire, a craving, a longing. We all thirst. We all have a void that we seek to fill. Some quench their thirst with money, some with sex, some with social media, some with people and relationships, jobs. We all try these things to quench this thirst and it's never quite enough. So we can sing it to seek out ways to quench it. We search the world looking for something and something else and something else to fill this void, to satisfy this longing inside of us. And what we need to understand is that nothing this world has to offer is enough because we were created to be in relationship with God. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. We were created to have relationship with him. But when sin entered the world, it severed our connection to God. Sin put a barrier between God and man. No number of bulls, goats, or lambs, or doves were enough to break down this barrier. We were dry and barren and finding that nothing in this world could provide anything that would ever satisfy us. But it was Jesus who became the ultimate sacrifice so that we can be reconciled to God and reestablish our relationship with God. The only one who can fill this void and satisfy our thirst. And in these two words, Jesus reminds us that humanity thirsts, but our thirst can only be quenched by God. It was Matthew 4, 14 that Jesus told the woman at the well, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Christ suffered, he thirsted, so that we would not have to thirst again. This was the thirst to end all thirst. Because of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we can be filled we can be free from thirst and we can partake in living water. Think about the things you've done in your life, the relationships that you've tried, the things that you've tried, the jobs that you've had, everything that you've done to make yourself feel whole. And ask yourself, was it enough? Because it's the, I know for a fact that the answer is no. It's never enough because only through Jesus Christ will we ever be satisfied. And as John 6, 35 states, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. Looking at, the, looking at the clock, it started. All right. Um, <laughs> so uh, John 19.30, John 19.30, it says this. It says, um, when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. 
Uh, and then he, he bowed his head uh, and he gave up his spirit. Listen, um, I, I'm going to run out of time. So I'm going to give you the hallelujah on the front end of this, right? So just in case I don't get to get there, y'all can't say I ain't never leave. I left and didn't leave you with nothing. But I'm going to need y'all to help me with this. Um, I'm going to give you the hallelujah on the front end. So do me a favor. Just repeat after me real quick. Just, just, just say, God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. <laughs> all right, all right. Just, 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 just one more time. Come on, come on. I, I want you to really dig down deep for this one. Repeat after me real quick. Just say, God said it. Say, I believe it. <laughs> and that settles it for me. <laughs> all right, all right. We just preached. All right, so that was the hallelujah. If, if they can't say I didn't give you nothing before I left. Watch this. All right, so, 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 so one of the things that um, I always try to do whenever I'm studying a passage of Scripture uh, is to wrap my mind around, like, the big uh, uh, idea of the verse, right? I try to wrestle with what is the, what is the text saying? What, is, what does this mean, right? Um, and, and they teach you in Bible uh, school. I'm going to give you all this for free. They teach you in Bible school. Listen, the Bible is to be taken literally until the literal does not make sense. Right? The Bible is to be taken literally until the literal does not make sense. And it is only then that we go on what's called the interpretive journey to try to interpret the text. We're on the same page? So check this out. In other words, what I'm trying to say is you can't start trying to figure out what a verse means until you understand what a verse says. You hear what I'm saying? You can't try to figure out what a verse means until you figure out first what the verse says. Yeah, some of us need to take that same approach to people. The same approach to people. Don't try to figure out what somebody means until you first understand what they, what they say. So when I started to dive into the verse, I was surprised with how easy it was to, to understand. Right? I didn't have a lot of, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't need a whole lot of textbooks. Uh, I, I, I didn't have to scroll through a bunch of YouTube videos. I didn't even have to call Pastor Moore for the King James Version or Pastor Reed for the message. I didn't have to do a, a, a deep dive or none of that. All I had to do was sit with the verse for a few minutes and it came together like a song I wrote. <laughs> came together like a song I wrote. Right, right. Within the three main words of this passage is everything you're going to need to get through any situation that you're going through in life. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is finished. In those three words, what we hear is the promise, the presence, and the performance of God. <laughs> yeah, the, the promise, the presence, and the performance of, of God. One more time, can you repeat after me? Say, God said it. All right, boom, let's start with the promise. The first thing I had to do when I'm looking at this text is figure out what it is. Yeah, try to figure out uh, what it is. Because honestly, if you read the actual text, you ain't really left with a whole lot of clear understanding about what it is. You know, uh, uh, when it tells you it is finished, what is Jesus actually talking about? Like, is he saying he's finished with the vinegar he was drinking? Is he saying that he's finished with the discussion he's having with God about the sentence that he's been giving? Could it be that he's referencing the forgiveness he gave to some thief the Bible doesn't even name or the accommodations that he made for his mama while he was breathing his final breaths? <laughs> when I read this, I couldn't figure out which one of these circumstances he was referring to. And so because of that, I kind of jumped to a conclusion. I I, I, I kind of jumped to a conclusion. Uh, uh, the conclusion that I came to is that the it that Jesus is referring to uh, uh, um, isn't one of those circumstances. It's everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, he's, he's, he's talking about everything <laughs> in that text. Um, I should learn to turn faster. All right, yeah. So he's referencing... Um, 
Both the promise that he made to the thief on the cross and the provision that he made for his mother. Yeah, here's the, here's the amazing thing, though. Like, like, God has enough promise for everything. <laughs> God has enough promise for your everything. Yeah, for your diagnosis and for your recovery. Yeah, his promise covers your increase and your deficit. It covers your situation and it covers your neighbors. There isn't a circumstance in which you will find yourself that the promise of God cannot cover you. Yeah, and, 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 and believe it or not, if you live long enough, you're going to find yourself in a situation where the promise of God, yeah, where the fact that the it in this verse is covering everything is all you're going to have to hold on to. Yeah, when everything in your life looks like it's set up to fail and the single thing you have left to cling to is the fact that God promised never to leave you or to forsake you, that he promised that no good thing will he withhold for you, that he, that, that he promised that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard and and what God has in store for you. I don't know about you, but for me, there's something, there's nothing sweeter than the promise that God is everything. And the promise of God covers it all. So no matter where you are, whatever your it happens to be, yeah, I need you to cling to the promise of God and understand that whatever your it is, he's big enough to handle it. <laughs> he's big enough to handle <laughs> yeah, 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 come on, y'all. Just say, God said it. <laughs> say, I believe it. All right, so, 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 I believe it. Let's talk about it. It said, it is finished. <laughs> it is finished. Yeah, there's something about the is-ness. <laughs> I made that up. The is-ness of, uh, of God. God said, it is finished. Not that it was, not that it might be, not we going, we finna see whether or not it's getting ready to be finished. It's the isness of God means that he's presently, currently, in this moment, his promise is fulfilled. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the isness of the it that really does it for me. Yeah, it's the fact that it doesn't matter how long I've been wrestling with my it. God says, God, God says that in whatever moment I find myself, he is with me currently. So, yeah, so I'm so thankful that I serve a God who was and who is and who is to come. Yeah, that means that right now as I'm in my feelings about that house that I didn't get, God is with me. And he's even there when I wake up in the morning still mad about the thing that he's delivering me through. Yeah, he's demonstrated his isness when he kept me in suffering. Well, I mean, uh, he kept me while I was suffering with the consequences and decisions that I had no business making. And then he continued to be present with me when it seemed like I'd never learned how to make the right decisions. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so happy today that, 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 that when I say, I believe I'm giving a testimony about believing in the presence of God through every single part of my experience. It's the is-ness of God. All right, come on, I, I'm done. All right, so can can y'all say, God said it? I believe it. Yeah, and that settles it for me. It is finished. It is finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's something that happens to me when I read that word finished. Yeah, Chantal, finished. Right? That, yeah, that I don't think would happen if I read it's being negotiated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or it is working itself out. Or it is pending. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is 
finished. Yeah, there's something about the finality of that statement that just that just settles it for me. And listen, listen, how about this? How about, see, I've already shared that I believe that the word it in this text is all-encompassing. Yeah, and I share with you that the, that the presence of the isness of God is enough to handle whatever your it is. Yeah, but it's 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 the finality expressed by using the word finished just settles me in knowing that God is able not just to handle my it in this moment, but he's big enough to handle all the it's that are waiting to creep up on me down the road. Yeah, because believe me when I tell you that even if today you don't have an it situation, keep on living, and at some point it is going to hit the fan, and, 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 and you'll find yourself in it after it, <laughs> yeah, time after time, but you're going to have to fix yourself in place and place your feet on a firm foundation and point your fingers at the it's in your life and say, God said it. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. And that settles it for me. <laughs> yeah. Listen. All right. All right. I'm done. Watch this. Oh, got three minutes. Here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, 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 I'm not telling you what I, what I feel. I'm telling you what I know. <laughs> I, I'm t- <laughs> Baby, I'm telling them what I, what I know. Yeah. I'm telling them what I know. Watch this. Watch this. Oh, real story. True facts. True facts. Oh, April, April uh, the 25th. April, April the 25th, 2022. God help me. Oh, April, April, April 25th, 2022, I lost my house. Yeah, I lost my house. Me and all of them lost it. <laughs> lost everything we had. On, on June the 11th, 2022, I lost my car. <laughs> on June the 11th, 2022, I lost, <laughs> I lost my car. Yeah. On December 13th, my wife received the diagnosis that she had breast cancer. <laughs> there's a there's that's enough it's <laughs> right there to, to, <laughs> to, to take somebody out of here. That's that's enough it's. Yeah, yeah. But 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 guess what, Chantal? The story ain't done. <laughs> yeah, I, I got more dates. I got more dates. How about this? Yeah. On October the eleventh, I received the promotion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Then, then on December 12th, I was appointed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As of January 31st, my wife is cancer-free. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. How about this? I told you on, on April 25th, I lost my house. How about this? On March 15th of this year, I got a pre-approval letter that said, hey, go shopping for what you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to tell you what I know. I'm trying to tell you what I know. That whatever it is that you're going through, whatever your it is, yeah, he's big enough to finish it. That's it. I ain't got no more. Hey, hey, listen, listen. This, these words right here going to help you. I promise you. They're going to help you get through any situation. I need you to now, we're going to say this the last time. I need you to say with everything you got left in your belly. I need you to reach this and say, yeah, God said it. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> and that settles it <laughs> for me. God said it. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> and that settles it.
in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 23, if you will, I want you to zero in, if you don't mind, at verse 46, and here begins the reading of God's word. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. All right. I want to talk tonight for a few moments when it's out of your hands. When it's out of your hands. The crucifixion is recorded in all the four Gospels in the New Testament after the portrayal of Judas, after the unfair trial, after Jesus was flogged by those who were working for Pontius Pilate, after he was beaten with a whip that was made of several pieces of leather, with pieces of bone and lead embedded near the ends. After they planted a crown of thorns upon his head to mock him and to belittle him. After they put a purple robe on him to symbolize his royalty and majesty for a kingdom they could not see. After they stripped him of the robe, put his clothes back on him, after they led him to Golgotha, the place of the skull, there they wanted to crucify him. And Jesus decides to pray to God to forgive their sins. He gives space to a thief in order to have him have access to paradise. He then makes accommodations for his mama while she's still on earth. Then he cries out to his father to ask, why have you forsaken me? He stopped dying long enough to announce that he was thirsty. Jesus then declares, it is finished. At the very end of Jesus' life, as he was hanging on the cross, Bible tells us the sun refused to shine. The moon dripped away in blood. 
and the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And then Jesus called out, Bible said with a loud voice, and said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. He gave up the ghost. What is astounding to me is not just the sacrifice Jesus made. What is astounding to me is not that he gave his life, but who he gave his life for and how he did it. Listen, y'all, when it's, when it's out of your hands, what do you do when you have done all you can do? How do you keep going? How do you keep persevering? How do you keep pressing on when you've done everything humanly possible? May, may I suggest to you, the first thing that you need to do is secure your spirit in the hand of the Father. And here's why, here's why, because he knows what to do. May I, may I suggest to you on this evening that our spirit is safe in his hands. When Jesus said, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit, he was actually quoting from Psalm 31, verse 5, where David said, into thy hand I commit my spirit. Y'all, I might want to tell you all that in everything Jesus did and said, he fulfilled the will of God and the word of God to demonstrate that God can be trusted. Jesus said, no one snatches us out of his hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one snatches us out of the father's hand for Jesus and the Father are one. May, may I suggest to you on the night, what Jesus offers us is secured and permanent. When it's, when it's out of our hands, we need to secure our spirit in his hands. Now, when one examines this part of Jesus' life, it looks like his life is in the hands of his haters. It, it appears that Jesus is in the hands of everybody else but God. Now, I, I know he said, into thy hands I commit my spirit, but the truth of the matter is to me, it just looks like, y'all, that, y'all, he's in the hands of his haters. He's in everybody else's hands but God. Just, just so you're clear, the reason why Jesus is in this mess is because of the hands of the religious people that got a hold of him. The, the very ones that have been after him ever since he was born. Pastor, are you sure? When you look at names like Caiaphas, who according to the gospel writers, Matthew, Luke, and John, was the organizer of the plot to kill Jesus. 
When you look like when you look at names and people like the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and not to mention the high priest of the temple, y'all, these are all religious people. Notice I didn't call them, I didn't call them y'all um, uh, God's people. They didn't call them Christians, y'all. I called them religious people. And because the truth of the matter is, they are religious, they're just not godly. Christians, y'all, he, 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 he doesn't call them, he doesn't call them, doesn't call them Christian. he calls them religious people. And when the religious people got Jesus in their hands, one can easily see how manipulative they became. Now, now, when the religious people got through with him, they then turned him over into the hands of the politicians. Politicians like Pilate and um, Caesar and Herod. These were the government officials of that day. When the government got their hands on Jesus, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, was the only man with the power to order a crucifixion, but he was warned by his wife that he ought to have nothing to do with Jesus. So the Bible tells us he washed his hands of the matter before the people. Pilate, y'all, was more concerned about the popularity of the people because he didn't want to lose his position. Pilate was concerned about the people. He just wanted to be popular with the people. He wasn't concerned about the principles of the matter. He was just concerned about his political position. He was concerned about his political career. I know I'm right because it was Pilate who signed the death warrant to crucify Jesus, even though he washed his hands of the matter. When the religious people got through with him, when the politicians got through with Jesus, we're told that they then put him in the hands of the Roman soldiers. They were the ones who put spikes in his feet while on the cross. It was the Roman soldiers that put nails in his hands. It was the Roman soldiers that put the crown of thorns on his head. It was the Roman soldiers that raised the cross up in the air. It was the Roman soldiers who gambled beneath the cross for his garment. It looks like Jesus was in everybody's hands but God's. Pastor, it looks like Jesus was in the hands of men to me. Listen, y'all, lean in. Let me ask you, didn't Jesus say in Luke 24, verse 7, that the Son of Man had to be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? It looks like Jesus' life is in the hands of men and not God's hands. But I respectfully disagree with you. What looks like death is life. And what looks like life is often death. His body was in their hands, but not his spirit. 
Jesus said, however, though my body is in your hands, I'm putting my spirit in God's hands. May I suggest to you that there is a difference between body and spirit. Somebody can lay hold on your body, but they cannot touch your soul. He says, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Which brings me to my second and final point, and I'll bid you all good night. The second thing we need to do is settle our selection. So, when it's out of your hands, what do you do when you don't have anything else to do? Settle your selection. When it's out of your hands, out of your hands, what do you do when you've done all that you can do? Settle your selection. In other words, make a decision as to where you are going to place your spirit. Now, now listen, y'all. You, you need to know that where your spirit is, where your life is, where your soul is, is, is determined by you. I get to choose where I put my spirit. It's intentional. Nobody can determine for me where my soul is. Nobody determines for me where my life is. You can put nails in my hands. But even with nails in my hands, I can still put my spirit in his hands. I can have cancer in my body. But even with cancer in my body, I can still put, y'all, his spirit, my spirit in his hands. Because that's my choice. Regardless to what has happened to you, you can still make a decision. You can still make a choice to put your life in the hands of the Father. Now, unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. Y'all, with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Somebody can lay hold on your body, but they can't touch your soul. Though my body is in your hands, I'm going to put my spirit in God's hands. Into thy hands, I commend my spirit. Here's our close. story is told about, about, about a botanist, a botanist and his companion who were out looking for a rare flower in an unfamiliar territory. They felt the need to have a guide to help them find this rare flower. They ended up hiring this little boy who explained to them that he could show them where they could see and retrieve this rare flower. Little boy takes the botanist and his traveling companion to where the flower, the rare flower grew. It happened to be on high on a mountainside, on a cliff. When they arrived at the spot where the flower grew, they noticed that the flower was out of their reach. 
So the botanist tells the boy, lay on your stomach and reach for the rare flower and I'm going to hold you by your heel. Little boy tells the botanist, um, he says, um, uh, I, I can't do that, but um, I do have a solution. So he tells the botanist and his companion, stay where, stay where, stay right here where you are, stay right where you are, and I'll be back in a few moments. In about 30 minutes, little boy returned with this man. Little boy laid on his stomach, reached out for the rare flower while the man held him by his heels. After retrieving the flower and giving it to the botanist, the botanist asked the boy, why? They had to wait 30 minutes when he proposed doing the same thing that he had, you know, that, that he and the stranger had just done. He asked him, what's the difference? Little boy explained, this stranger is my daddy. The difference was I was in my daddy's hands. These hands of my daddy is tested and trust it. He's mine and I'm his. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Well, let me just tell y'all this. Y'all, the boy said, I can't trust just anybody. I can only trust somebody who's connected to me. And I've come to tell y'all today that Jesus said, I know my time has come. And I know I'm getting ready to die. And I know you think you're taking my life, but no man takes my life. I lay my life down. And since I'm laying it down, I'm now determined that I'm going to place my spirit in the Father's hand. And I've come to tell somebody tonight that God's got it and God's got you in his hand. I came to tell somebody tonight that my God said I can take it and I can hold it in the palm of my hand. I don't know what you're wrestling with, but I've come to tell you today that whatever it is, God's got it and he can hold it in your hands. When you don't know what to do or when stuff is out of control, or when you can't handle it, you don't have to hold it by yourself. You've got to have somebody bigger than you, stronger than you, greater than you, who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think. Who can hold you in the hollow of his hand? Sooner or later, it's going to turn in your favor if you allow the Lord to hold you in the palm of your hands. When it's out of your hands, put it in his hands. Hallelujah. That's what we got to do. Put it in God's hands. Would you stand with me, please, all over this church?